I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Covers college football and basketball for CBS Sports. He's on Twitter at David W. Cobb. Cobb, you were at Tulane. It was a pretty good college basketball game on Sunday. The topic of discussion, though, that we're having on the show... Do you think Memphis's defense is a problem right now? Oh, well, there's no doubt. It's not the same. I have a lot of thoughts. Great answer. So, so, there's no doubt it's a problem. I think it will be helped significantly by the return of Malcolm Dandridge, whenever that is. Because what struck me at Tulane on Sunday, being just a couple of rows up watching that game, was the lack of size on Memphis's part. And while I do think there are certain offensive advantages to playing Kendrick Davis and Alex Lomax together, they're pretty small guards. And then when you take out Dandridge from the interior, a couple of things happen. One, there's no rim protection there. Two, it, it, the closeouts aren't quite, quite as intense because you don't have the length on the floor with the smaller guards. And then if you do close out hard and, and your guy beats you off the dribble because you closed out so hard, there's nobody there to help you out in the paint. And so I think it's a confluence of those factors that have created a little bit of a defensive issue for Memphis. And I don't think Dandridge all the way fixes it because he's not Musa Cisse, he's not Jalen Duran, but he will help because he's a, a bigger, uh, longer defender on the interior who can block and impact you know, uh, opponent shots. And, and to your point, David, he got injured in that Alabama game on the 13th. They gave up 91 points in that game. Then they gave up 79 to Texas A&M. Then they played Alabama State, gave up 61, but then they gave up 86 to South Florida and then 96 to Tulane. The The real drop-off has has coincided with his injury, although Jeffrey and I were going through it. like part, I do think part of their success defensively early in the year is they, they weren't playing great offensive teams necessarily. Now, that being said, USF and Tulane are not necessarily offensive juggernauts at least weren't offensive juggernauts until they played. It didn't look like offensive juggernauts until they played Memphis. But I think it's a it's a good point about Malcolm. They really, you know, he is because of their lack of size, and I think, frankly, it feels like Penny's lack of trust in KO, he is mm-hmm. incredibly valuable for this team. Yeah, and I like, like I said, I think there's offensive advantages to the smaller lineup. But to, to go one level deeper on the defensive stuff, uh, you look at the wings like uh, Kennedy and, and Franklin, uh, those guys, McCadden, they're all like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, uh, mm-hmm. combined with the smaller guards. Memphis is just smaller than it has been at any point, I think, under Penny. Because, you know, back in the day you had 
DJ Jeffries last season, uh, Amani Bates, uh, Landers Nolly, six seven. You know, longer, Lester was, guy. Yeah, I mean Lester. Even while you know maybe Lester wasn't the biggest guy, he certainly had length. Yeah. Yes, I think this team just misses a little bit of that. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting. Do you still see? I mean, do you worry about like I, I'm not worried about them in turn. Like I still think they're going to be a tournament team. I still think they're the second best team in the league. Um, like, are you? What's your concern level, would you say? Or would you say, do, does this feel more like a blip to you, or do you feel like, you know, this is something to to consider as we move forward now into conference play? Well, just on its face, a loss at Tulane, to me, is not all that big of a concern. I picked Tulane to finish third in the AAC behind Houston and Memphis before the season. Frankly, mm-hmm. Tulane's been a little bit underwhelming. Maybe they're getting back on track now. They've been, they've been they, hurt. They've been hurt. They've had a lot of injuries. Right. I think what makes it, makes it a little concerning to me is the fact that they had to rally from, what, 10 down to be, you know, South Florida at mm-hmm. home. That, combined with the two-lane performance, gives me a little bit of pause here. Uh, but, frankly, there's just not a ton of, of depth in the AAC. I don't think there's a lot of teams that can come into FedEx Forum and, and leave with a win <laughs> other than, than Houston. And, you know, maybe, maybe UCF can do that. I don't know. But uh, I'm not overly concerned. I think so long as Malcolm Dandridge comes back in a – relatively timely manner. I think Memphis should be okay. They've put more hay in the barn at this point in the year than they have in a long time. And so in that regard, you know, they haven't suffered those terrible losses. And, and I think that helps them a lot. And the AAC gives you some chances to suffer some terrible losses. But, you know, so far to this point, I wouldn't classify, you know, the Tulane loss as catastrophic by any stretch. Does anyone else have any other Memphis things? Or can we, can we go to another? T- Again, I, I'm asking legitimately. Because yeah. that's about all I got, Memphis. All right, yeah. what's Texas going to do? Uh, Texas, uh, interesting situation because they got smacked. They give up 118 or something last night against Kansas State. Though, does it really count if it happens on the Longhorn Network? I uh, no, that's. Uh, I think that was actually part of the. Uh, it ended up becoming an unintended consequence of the Longhorn Network. Is it, it really shielded you from a lot of embarrassment? <laughs> I know I didn't watch a single second mm-hmm. of the game because you know I didn't want to text my college buddy to get his friend's parents login for Comcast. Um, so anyway, I uh, didn't see it last night. But Texas, I mean, without Chris Beard, I think there's a high level of concern there. Uh, they're going to be a tournament team. They're going to be in probably the top half of the Big 12, I would think. But the Big 12 is such a, a knockdown drag out every night that uh, pretty worrisome. But I think the the, be- the better side of that story is Kansas State being so good and so improved in year one under Jerome Tang. I mean, it's just awesome seeing all these first-year coaches around the country have so much success right out of the gate. Well, it's the portal, right? I mean, they got that the Keontae Johnson kid. He's in addition to that, like he, you know, he's the kid from Florida who had the heart issue, and now he's, you know, one of the best players in the Big Twelve. Let's also not negate the fact Kansas State's getting to see an offense for the first time. When did Weber get there? Twelve years ago. This is probably (laughs) the first time, like. First time and they've Frank actually, Martin was there before yeah. that. He wasn't exactly an offensive well, and coach. And then, and then before that was Huggy Bear. So it's yeah. not like well, they had they had Beasley. It's probably the yeah. best offense since Michael so Beasley. That was '08. <laughs> Is that four, fourteen years? <laughs> Right, and they're not the only one. Look at LSU. Look at Missouri. Missouri is doing the exact same thing. They were 303rd, I think, in the country in scoring last year. And they're like third now. They're scoring 88. They're scoring like 27 points more per game this season than they did last year under Conzo. So it's it's fun to see these first-year coaches and these programs make these quick turnarounds. It makes preseason predictions so so difficult because – Typically, you default to putting first, you know, teams with first-year coaches near the bottom of their league standings. But 
you really got to study the roster and, and try to come up with an idea of you know how the the players from the portal are gonna gonna work together because uh, the the reality is like you can go out and get talent right out of the gate now. Well, that brings me to kind of the other question that I have because we we're talking about the we're talking about the playoffs yesterday, the college football. So switching back to football, and this is kind of the big question that I have: Is this year a sign of things to come? Or is this just the 2007 year all over again where, you know, the one difference between 2007 and this year is that Georgia has consistently been at the top and they've, they've not really given up the rope much. I mean, they've had some, they've had some, you know, they had the Missouri game, they had an apathetic Kentucky game, but, you know, for the most part, they were pretty consistent throughout the year. But, like, I am starting to wonder of, okay, well, is this just going to be the way that it is moving forward, which I would prefer, I got sign up for. Like, this year was fun and interesting in the sense that we got new blood in, it was competitive, but there is kind of in the back of my mind just this thought of... When you maybe, say 2007, you're talking LSU winning the national championship? LSU being the two-loss the two lost national champion, but that was the year, Cobb, I don't know if you're a year younger than me, or it, it was my freshman year of college. Whoever was at the whoever got to rank number two lost immediately. Oh, you're right. That was the, this was the Rich Rod year. Yes, this is yeah. the nuts. This oh, is the yeah, like, this was like one, year of college. This yeah. is like one of the most insane years of college football. Yeah. And so, but like if next, Rich Rod, if Rich Rod goes to the BCS title game, he's never a coach at Michigan. Well, or if Rich Rod would have taken the Alabama job. Yeah, that's uh, Nick true. Saban yeah. is he is he is Nick Saban in Alabama? There's always these what ifs. But the next year, it went right back to kind of football as we know, where Florida had their little run, then we turn into the Alabama dominance and whatnot. So the question that I have is, do you, how much confidence do you have that this could be the sign of things to come? No, I think, I think my working take on this is that we are in an era and have been for a couple of years and are entering one that will be even more so an era of parity in college football. And I can't totally like verify that with a ton of data, but if you go back to last season, Cincinnati makes the playoffs and that's a sign that, Oh, the college football isn't as top-heavy, maybe. And then this year, obviously, you have Tulane winning the Cotton Bowl over USC. That's huge. And and TCU, under a first-year coach, picked to finish seventh in the Big 12, making the, the national championship game. And, and now you, you move into an era where the playoff will be expanded to 12 teams, and teams have a chance to go out and address specific needs in the transfer portal. I don't think it's going to be pronounced as basketball because I don't think you can really – flip an entire college football roster the way you can a, a basketball roster. But I do think that the portal helps maybe with parity uh, more than it hurts. And and I think we're seeing that borne out on the field. So uh, with TCU, though, I think a lot of the credit there deserves to go to Gary Patterson for the fact that he actually had some talent and helped develop that talent. And obviously they needed a change. And Sonny Dykes has uh, breathed life into that roster and, and helped some of those guys maximize their potential. But uh, you know, he he built that program in, in a pretty solid way, and uh, it's just it's just fun to see college football be a little bit less predictable as it kind of looks like the the Saban dynasty is coming to an end. Do you give TCU a shot in this game? I mean, the 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 line suggests Vegas. You know, I mean, it opened at what two touchdowns? It's down to like twelve. But yeah, I think it opened at fourteen. It's it's hovering between twelve and a half and thirteen. You- no, I do. I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards TCU against the spread. I don't know if I have the guts to pick them straight up, but they're they're definitely uh, going to be competitive because I mean they're anywhere between the best or at worst third best team that Georgia will have played this season. I mean, you could argue that Ohio State is better 
than TCU. We don't know that for fact. Uh, you could argue that Tennessee maybe uh, was better than TCU this year. I don't know. I, I, I would tend to, to suggest that TCU is at maybe the second best team Georgia's played behind Ohio State and, and arguably the, the best team because I think their defense is better than Ohio State's defense. So, uh, yeah, I think TCU has a shot. And if at this point you, you still don't think they do, you're falling into the trap that everybody else has, and including uh, Michigan, and saying that, you know, they don't uh, they don't have a chance. Like, you know, they, they, all the stuff we've seen about Michigan players not even knowing what conference TCU plays in and uh, thinking that they could just line up and, and play. The worst was J.J. McCarthy going like, we're going to play Smash Fest football. Yeah, we're going to bring the Big Ten to the Big 12. J.J. Yeah. <sighs> uh, McCarthy is on my list. I I can already <laughs> tell you this. I'm about to bet against He's He is now – he is in the territory of I, next year I will bet against him every single week, just like system plays. But this is my question. Has somebody done a deep dive on TCU's roster? Like, it's one thing to bring in a breath of fresh air, but this is something more. Like, what we're looking at, how quickly this turnaround is. And I was even thinking about this, They cop, weren't even going to start. No, this is What's the What's his thing. name at the beginning of the year? No. Duggan. If Chandler Morris doesn't get hurt against Colorado, do you think that, like— at what point would they have turned? Like, my thing is, maybe at a certain point they turned to Max Duggan, but at the point in which they would have turned to Max Duggan, don't you think they would have already lost and it would have been too late? It's a great point. And, and to take your point a step further, I mean, teams such as uh, Georgia Tech and, and Nebraska are actually ahead of TCU in the, the 24-7 talent composite. Yeah. Uh, so, so they've overachieved. There's, there's no doubt. But they, their top line, uh, player is really skilled. I mean, Max Duggan, for, for the fact that he lost the starting job, it's not as if he were some slouch backup. I mean, he was a proven, productive college quarterback, and, and I don't think there's any denying that. And then you look at Quentin Johnson. I think he's the best wide receiver in college football. Maybe not numbers-wise this year, but not far off. And, and also a guy, I think, who will be the, the most productive uh, rookie uh, receiver in this upcoming draft class. And then Kendra Miller, the, the running back, who's, I guess, going to be questionable now for the national championship game, elite level. So they've, they've had that, that top-level elite sort of highbrow talent. They're just probably not as deep as uh, you would expect a normal college football playoff team to be. But, you know, they, they've done a good job of playing to their strengths, I guess is what I would boil it down to, and that's Sonny Dykes being a, a master technician and, and knowing, you know, knowing how to run an offense, uh, to be honest, because that you know, wasn't necessarily Gary Patterson's strength. Is Sonny I guess, Dykes? Like- I guess this is listen. Listen to this. So I'm about to go through the 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 offensive depth chart. Junior Quentin Johnson. He's going to be a top ten pick most yeah. likely. Uh, junior uh, and, and Williams. Uh, redshirt senior transfer. Redshirt senior. Redshirt junior. Redshirt senior. Senior. Redshirt senior. Redshirt junior. Uh, redshirt senior. Senior junior. Mm-hmm. And then on defense they have. Uh, defensive tackle that's a freshman. Everybody else is a junior. Like I think maybe that's what we're going to start to see, which is just team team. Like forget talent still going to matter. Like there's no denying. Like this, it's as Cobb points out. It's not like TCU doesn't have good football players. They do. Mm-hmm. But I think what's going to in the end, it's going to kind of be college basketball ish, where you're going to need fourth and fifth year guys. Where it felt like for the last ten years, it was just get as many NFL prospects as you can. It might now be a day and age where you got to have some NFL guys, but maybe you don't have to have the entire roster be NFL guys. Yeah, I think because that's maybe that's point. not possible. I guess would be the reason why I'd say that. 
Yeah, and, and it only puts a heightened emphasis on player development now. You know, this has been a, a theme that we talked about like last offseason during the uh, talking season of college football is, is the sport going to transform into more of a player development type of sport as opposed to uh, all the emphasis being on having as many cool guys as you can on your staff to help uh, recruit and, and woo the high school guys because now it might be the programs that can uh, hang on to talent and develop it, you know, starting to thrive and, and shine a little bit more. And I don't necessarily think that means Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State are, are going anywhere because uh, they, they have the, the armies of player development guys and analysts uh, who can help with, with player development. But it, it gives maybe a program like TCU a, a, a fighting chance uh, if they can hang on to guys uh, to develop them and, and get old, right? I mean, that's kind of what you say, the, been the basketball monster for a long time now. Maybe we see that translate to football. Yeah, get old, stay old. I'm curious about Sonny Dykes. Like, is he – like, he's been a f- – Okay, coach. Until this year, but yeah, this- you look at it though. Like he, he hasn't had the top end. But if you go look at the job he's done compared to the job he's had, yeah, like the last time Cal was decent in football, guess who the coach was? Yeah, no, it's really just the Cal thing. Where he, where was he before Cal? He was good. Louisiana Tech. Yeah, he was real good at Louisiana Tech. SMU. He always get off these fast starts and never could finish it. But he still did better than like he did better than. Uh, who was the coach before him? Uh, Morris. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did better than Chad Morris. Yeah. Uh, he did about the same as Chad Morris, right? No, he had them at like 12 and 10 and 2. No, Chad- uh, he never finished that. He never fi- – He they died every year. He would start like 7-0-8. Like they started 7-0 that year. Um, two, I think 20- the stat with Chad Morris is he never won a football game where he didn't lead at the half. That's all you need to know. Like, oh, high school football coach goes into halftime, makes zero adjustments. Dykes, you're right. He had Dykes went five and seven. Then that year they they were undefeated going into that game against Memphis in 2019. They went ten and three. He was seven and three in the COVID year, eight and four his last year there. Um, Cobb, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.